What a wonderful promise of scripture. Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into the heavens? This same Jesus, which is taken from you up into the heavens, so shall come in like manner as ye have seen him go. And we look forward to that day. We see Jesus Christ face to face. Well, we're going to dismiss our children to their um, junior church hour at this time. And so young people, let's bow. Let's have a word of prayer and you'll be dismissed. Father, we love you. and We thank you uh, that you don't just love us, but you love these children too. As a matter of fact, there was a special emphasis in your ministry to suffer the little children to come unto you. I pray, Lord, that you'd help us as workers and leaders, Lord, to take that very seriously. And Lord, that we'd present to them the precious and timeless gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, speak to their hearts today, we pray, and we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, young people, you are dismissed to your junior church hour, very quietly, if you will. Let's take our Bibles this morning, please. Turn to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. Good to have some friends visiting with us this morning, and Jerry and Diana Paquin here, and uh, today is their wedding anniversary, so congratulations, folks. Appreciate you coming down, and I guess I'm your gift, and so praise the Lord for that. Uh, Brother Paquin and I, uh, we go way back. We were in our 20s when we met, and I think in three days, you have a big birthday. Is it 60? No. Diana says yes, you say no. And so anyway, happy birthday, brother. We, we love you and we appreciate you so much. And Brother Packman was a great help in our ministry in Stony Creek and what a blessing. And Diana too. And I remember when Diana got saved and uh, praise the Lord for that. And what a wonderful blessing to have them here today. Also, I have some folks here at the Bergsmas. I'm going to try to connect some people. And uh, they, where'd you meet? Bahamas? Is that right? Dominican. They met in the Dominican. They said, where are you from? They said, Woodstock. And so praise the Lord. They came and visited our church. They were close enough. But Brother Hank, they know you. So I don't know if you've seen each other across the room yet, but they're looking for you after the service. And so I don't know if you pulled them over or something. I'm not sure what's going on there. But anyway, they know you. And maybe they came looking for you. I'm not sure. So anyway, Mark chapter 8 this morning. If you're our guest today, we're so thankful you're here. I'm trying to be careful. You can hear i got a thing going on. I had, I've had a cold this week. And uh, yesterday was a rough day, but I'm feeling better. But my wife is really sick today. And uh, she's here. And she's just hiding in the olive room. We don't want to share that with you if we can help it. And uh, I, I went around to the kids, and, and I said, they all want to shake your hand. I said, I'm not going to shake hands. I don't want you to get sick. And a little girl goes, says, oh, school tomorrow. And she, she wanted to give me a hug. I said, no, get away. <laughs> so I, I don't know. We were taught, don't call in, crawl in, right? And that's what we were taught when we were kids. And so I, I tried to do that as best I can. And so uh, there's just times you can't make it, but uh, today I think we can make it. The good news for you is it'll probably be a shorter sermon. Amen? I'll go as long as my voice will hold out. Mark chapter 8, and I've been studying through the book of Mark this, this year, as you know. And in Mark chapter 8, we looked last week at the feeding of the 4,000. And on the heels of that, of that great miracle we see in the Word of God, uh, we find that the disciples just couldn't figure it out. The Lord Jesus Christ said to them, you know, go ahead, my my heart is moved with compassion upon the multitudes, and let's let's give them to eat. And and, uh, they said, how how can we give bread to so many? And yet, he'd already fed the 5,000, and they couldn't figure it out. And and so finally, the Lord Jesus Christ blessed the bread and some fish, and he fed the 4,000, and they gathered up seven baskets. You know, remember, they got into a boat, and while they were on the boat, the the Lord Jesus Christ felt like it was a good opportunity to do some teaching. And so he said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And they all said, well, it's because we didn't bring bread. 
He's upset we didn't bring bread. And they said, what is going on in your hearts? How is it that you do not understand? And they began to look at the temporal. They looked all around them and they forgot that the bread of life was right there in the boat. And so the Lord Jesus Christ said to them, when you fed the 5,000, how much bread did you have left? They said, 12 baskets. When you fed the 4,000, how much did you have? They said, seven baskets. And and basically he's saying, so then why are you worried about bread? Why are you worried? How is it that you do not understand? After that, the Lord Jesus Christ would come to shore at the place called Bethsaida. Bethsaida is the house of the fish. And there we see that he heals a blind man. That, that healing of the blind man is one of the miracles of the Bible I just don't understand. I, I'm, I'm actually going to take some time and try to look up somebody else's sermon. I'd like to hear what they have to say because the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says, spit in his eyes. And when he opened his eyes, he says, what do you, what do you see? And he says, I see men as trees walking around. And he had a distorted vision. And then the Lord Jesus Christ touched his eyes and he could see normally and clearly. And I I struggle with it. I'm going to be honest. I don't understand why he wasn't healed the first time. I'm sure there's a purpose, and men smarter than me know the answer to that. But as the Lord Jesus Christ left that place called Bethsaida, we come to the area of Caesarea Philippi in Mark chapter 8. And it was there that Peter made his great confession that I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. But it was just a a short time later that Jesus, based on that confession, knowing that they finally starting to understand that who I am and why I'm here, he says to them, the Son of Man is going to go to Jerusalem and there he'll be betrayed and crucified. And Peter said, not so, Lord. We're not going to let you go. And Jesus said unto Peter, get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savorest not the things that be of God. He wasn't necessarily calling him Satan in the flesh, but the word Satan means adversary. Right now, Peter, you are out of the will of God. You are are opposed. You are anti-Christ, if you will. You are against God's will for my life. It is the will of God that, that I am not willing that any should perish, so I will give my life a ransom for many. What a what a swing of events for Peter. Thou art the Christ. And then he says, Get thee behind me, Satan. What a change in such a short time. And now in Mark chapter 8, we come to verse 34. And the Lord Jesus Christ, right on the heels of saying, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. He begins to teach them, and he calls people unto him, and his disciples also in verse 34. And he said unto them, Wheresoever, or sorry, whosoever will come after me, Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word of God today and we pray that you'd help us with it. Lord, Peter is not part of our message today, but it just seems like as I read those 
or recited or re- rehashed those portions of scripture this morning, I feel like I could put myself in Peter's shoes. One minute on a spiritual high, having returned from a missionary journey and having cast out demons and healed the sick in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and making that wonderful confession that thou art the Christ, the son of the living God, and just a short time later being rebuked by Jesus as the enemy of God. Lord, it just seems like it's kind of a a snapshot of our lives sometimes, how up and down we can be. Lord, I pray that you'd now turn our attention to some important teaching that the Lord Jesus Christ would give to the disciples. I don't think it's a coincidence that the Lord Jesus Christ would talk about his cross and his betrayal and and his crucifixion, and, and now he talks about ours. And so, Lord, help us to understand this passage, but that can only happen if the Holy Spirit of God would speak to us. So I surrender to you. I need your added strength today. And I pray, Lord, that you communicate these truths clearly to our hearts. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. In verse 34, the Lord Jesus Christ has been with the disciples in Caesarea Philippi, and now he calls others to him. I'm not sure if people were being polite, but Caesarea Philippi was a great place of pagan worship. If you were to go there today, you would see still today, some 2,000 years after the days of Christ, there are places on the rocks that are carved out where they would put their idols and they would worship them there. The literal place there is, uh, there's a, a great cavern and they called it the gates of hell. They believed it was an opening to the abyss. And therefore the Lord Jesus Christ said that on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail. But the Lord Jesus Christ was dispelling some mythology that was going on that I am greater than all these gods. And I'm greater than anything that man believes about this place. For I am the Christ. I am the son of the living God. The Lord Jesus Christ, perhaps there was some being polite. Others perhaps were worshipers of these false gods. But there was people there and he calls them unto himself. And he begins to teach them. And he says this in verse 34. Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake in the gospels, the same shall save it. It seems often when we get into the scriptures and particularly the the life of Christ and the teachings of Christ that Christ says things and does things so opposite of what we might expect. He says, for whosoever shall save his life, you're actually going to lose it. But if you would lose your life for my sake in the gospels, you will save it. I want you to notice in verse 34 as the Lord Jesus Christ utters this famous phrase, and we see it in different variations throughout the word of God, or we, even songwriters write about it. Take up thy cross and follow me, I hear my Savior say. Take up your cross, take up thy cross. And we see variations of it, but they're all the same, that we are to take up the cross and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. What does it mean when Jesus says that? Verse 34, I want you to notice, first of all, it's a cross of death. It's a cross of death. There was no other purpose for the cross. That is what it represents. Sometimes we are 
guilty of modern day colloquialisms or uh, expressions, if you will, and, and we will say something. How many of you have heard this? Somebody might have a, a, an illness, something that is nagging in their life, it's chronic, and they, maybe it's arthritis or something they cannot get to go away, and they're just going to have to learn how to live with it, and they might say something like this, well, I guess it's just my cross to bear. Have you ever heard somebody say that? Maybe it's about a, a wayward family member and they're concerned and burned about it. And they say, well, this is the, the cross the Lord has given me to bear. And it comes from this passage of Scripture. As a matter of fact, I've heard preachers for years say it over and over again. What is your cross to bear? And what is that thing you must pick up and carry? What is that burden that you must hold on to if you're going to follow after the Lord Jesus Christ? We are to bear our own cross and we are to bear our own burdens and we are to, to take that cross and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. But having studied out this passage, I believe that's the wrong interpretation. Because literally the cross had no other meaning in the Bible than death. Think about those that were there worshiping those false gods and others. They were all under Roman authority. Whether they were Jew or Gentile, it didn't matter. If they were living in that region, they were part of the kingdom of Rome and, and they were under Herod and they were under uh, Caesar and they were under Pilate and they would obey the laws of the land and the soldiers that you saw everywhere were not Jewish soldiers, they were Roman soldiers. And the cross meant only one thing. It was a picture of suffering, anguish, and death. That's what the cross was. As a matter of fact, when we lightheartedly say, well, this burden that I have, I guess that's my cross to carry. Listen, don't belittle the cross of Christ. It means so much more than just a burden. It means so much more than just a weight that we must bear. We look at that, that phrase of scripture, take up thy cross, and, and we look at it and say, well, what is the Lord going to place upon my shoulders? And what is the burden he has called me to bear? It means none of that. It means literally you must die to self if you're going to truly follow the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ gathered these disciples and he said to them, if any man will come after me, whosoever shall follow me, let him take up his cross. Remember the context? Just a few minutes ago, he told his disciples, I'm going to go and I'm going to die. I'm going to be buried, but I'll rise again. And if you want to follow me, try following me there. Why don't you take up a cross and come along behind me? Now, I'm so thankful the Lord Jesus Christ died so I don't have to. And he paid the price on Calvary for my sins. But what he is saying here is he's spiritualizing something. He's saying, listen, we must all die to self. We are dead in our trespasses and sins, but we are made alive in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he has crucified the affections and the lusts thereof because we are dead in Christ. It is what it represents. It's not, it is not some burden or some care that you must learn how to cope with. And friends, it is the very death of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, you must also die if you're going to follow me. A cross of death, it is what it represents, but it's also what is required. 
Let me just share with you scripture this morning. In 1 Corinthians 15, 31, the apostle Paul says, I protest by your rejoicing, which I have in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I die daily. Galatians 2, 20, I already shared with you this morning. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Romans 8, 13 says, For if he live after the flesh, he shall die. But if he through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. What does mortify mean? You know what a mortician is? You know what a mortuary is? Mortify is to put to death. To die. Mortify the deeds of our body. Die to self. Galatians 5 verse 24 says, And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. Galatians 6.14, But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. Colossians 3.5, Mortify, there it is again, therefore your members which were upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Friends, when, when we think about the death of the Lord, Lord Jesus Christ, and he says to us, now you take up your cross, that's what's required, is a cross of death, it's a cross of suffering. They say, well, preacher, this is not a great way to build a church, but for the true believer of Jesus Christ, we understand what it means, don't we? That means we will never have true life in Christ until we crucify ourselves. Not a physical death, for Christ has paid that price, but crucifying the old man. This summer, July 22nd, we're looking forward to chicken on the grounds, and uh, Brother Bruce Fry will be with us. Enjoy, Brother Bruce. Brother Bruce, uh, if you've never met him, he was a country music singer. Lived in Nashville for years. He was into all kinds of drugs and alcohol. He has a gospel track where he's singing on a stage with Hank Williams Jr. He's, he's, uh, before he came the first time, Paul and Jana were watching Andy Griffith, uh, Matlock, right? Matlock. And Janet said, well, there's our guest preacher for this Sunday. And there he was singing at a country band in the park or something on, on the Matlock show or Andy Griffith show or whatever it was. Paul says, no, it's not. She says, well, it is. And it was. He had a different life. Now he's gloriously born again. And he wrote a song, and it's his, it's his testimony song, and it's my favorite song that he sings called, The Old Man is Dead. That's what this passage is talking about. To be crucified with Christ is to crucify the afflictions and lusts of your old life. And to put it, does it mean we're perfect, we'll never sin? No. That old man, even though he's dead, rears his ugly head once in a while. But we must, that's why Paul says, I die daily. I have to crucify him again and again and again. I have to put him out of my life and put him to death. It's a mark of true discipleship. But let me say this, not only is when we talk about a cross of death, it is what it represents and it is what is required. But friends, listen to this, it is without return. So what do you mean by that? Would you take a moment and picture with me this morning what the songwriter has called the Via Dolorosa? The way of suffering. 
as they took the cross member of the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ and they tied it to his arms and laid it across his back and he struggled down those roads and the Bible says he stumbled and he fell and after he stumbled and he fell, we know that Judas picked up his cross and, or Simon of Cyrene picked up his cross and, and followed him. But every criminal was made an open show in the flesh. They would put that cross upon their backs and they would parade them through the city and it was a way to say, this is a public execution and we don't want anybody to ever follow in that way of crime again. It was a deterrent to see a man taken and crucified. So they would openly display that parade down those streets. But once that man was condemned to death and once that cross was put upon his back, that man knew there was only one way to go. It was to the site of the crucifixion and that's where it would end. There was no way of escape. There was no way to change anybody's mind at the last hour. He was fully committed to death. That's what the cross is all about. How many of us today can name somebody that came and tried it out for a short time? The Bible doesn't say try and see that the Lord is good. It says taste and see. To taste something, you have to take it right in. We have so many who say, well, I'll try, Jesus. No. To come to the Lord Jesus Christ and to put your faith in him and to trust him for eternal life is a life-changing faith that involves the very death of the old man. There's nothing to go back to. There is no return. It is a cross of death. I want you to notice, secondly, we've, we've looked at verse 34, but look at verse 35 with me. It is also a cross of decision. A cross of decision. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. Sounds like there's a choice involved, doesn't it? Whoever wants to save their life, go ahead and you'll lose it in the end. Whoever would lose their life for the gospel's sake and my name's sake, you'll, you'll be saved. So there's an important choice involved. Let me ask you, if you made that choice today? He said, well, I'm a, a follower of Jesus. Have you taken up the cross? You understand what it means to die to self? Die to sin? Oh, we, we fight and we struggle with that old man, but we must crucify him daily. We must get into the word of God. We must spend time with the Lord. We must pray and, and allow God's Holy Spirit to change us and make us more into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's a cross of decision. You're deciding for some of you today to, well, I can try to save myself. No, you will lose in the end. For whosoever is not found written in the Lamb's book of life shall be cast in the lake of fire. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
It's an important choice that every one of us must make. You say, well, I'm not going to make a choice today. You just did. You chose to turn away from the truth. The truth is this. The Lord Jesus Christ came to save sinners. You say, from what? From our sins. The wrath of God. The condemnation because we're sinners. And if we can put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross of Calvary, the finished work, when he died in our place, you can be born again with a new life in Christ. Behold, all things have passed away when we trust in Jesus. It is a cross of decision. It's an important choice with inevitable consequences. Look at verse 36. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Those are the consequences of those choices. You might save your life now and gain the whole world. And you might lose your life today to Jesus Christ and he'll save your soul. Can I say this? I don't mean to mislead you by saying we lose our life to Christ. You you will lose nothing. What we lose is the old man. What we lose is the power of canceled sin over our lives. What we lose is, is fighting that battles on our own and now the Holy Spirit of God indwells us and strengthens us and teaches us and grows us and draws us closer to Jesus and helps us fight those battles. What we lose is walking around this earth naked and what we gain is the whole armor of God. But you must trust him. You must know him. It is a cross of decision. It's an important choice with inevitable consequences. And it reminds us of the incredible cost in verse 37. What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Essentially, the Lord Jesus Christ is laying it all out for them. What do you think you're going to gain by choosing this world? You can gain it all if you want. Fame, fortune. But if you'd be willing to die to all that, And choose me, you can gain your soul. And then he summarizes it with this question. What is your soul worth to you? What does it profit a man or what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? I was just talking to some folks here last week and the Horn family, and I'm not sure if they're here this morning or not, And she was telling me that her mother passed away at 102 years old. How many of you think you'll make it that far? That's a a long way. The oldest person I ever met was 104 years old. And uh, Brother Larry was Grant Ogborn's mother. And uh, and he used to work with Brother Ogborn. And are we guaranteed 100 years? If in 100 years... You could have everything this world has to offer. What does that matter a million years from now? A billion years from now. Because no doubt you will spend 99.9% of that in eternity somewhere. Will your soul be in heaven or in hell? 
What shall a profit a man if he shall gain the whole world? He's talking about today. In exchange for his own soul. What would you give? If I could, if I could lay out a table here in front of you with passes into heaven, tickets to paradise, if you will, and I started auctioning those off, what would you be willing to pay? I mean, if they were signed in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ himself, and I said, these are guaranteed that you can live however you want on this earth and take this ticket and hand it to somebody at the pearly gates, and you'll go directly into heaven, what would you pay for that? What is your soul worth? That's what the question is. Let me say this, it's already been paid in full. By the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary, And there's no amount of money that will purchase any ticket for you. Didn't the Lord Jesus Christ say to somebody, he said, what must I do for eternal life? And he says, your money perishes with you. Nothing you can do to buy it. Nothing you can do to earn it. It's not of works lest any man should boast. Here's what it requires. It requires death. It can only be paid for by a sacrifice. And that's why Jesus shed his blood to be the ransom for many. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. It's an incredible cost. It's a cross of decision, but he leaves us in verse 38 with a challenge for disciples I'm already on my last point. Everybody, I, I need a cheap amen here this morning. You're very quiet today. Here's some instruction or a challenge for disciples. Look at verse 38. Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. I see a couple challenges here for the disciples that were there. For those that hear these words about dying to self, to taking up this cross and following the Lord Jesus Christ, what is the challenge for the disciple? Number one, the challenge of a sinful culture. The challenge of a sinful culture. Notice his words. Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation. How many of you think the Lord Jesus Christ is talking about 2023? Sure feels like it, doesn't it? I imagine Charles Spurgeon opened this passage of scripture and he says, I think he's talking about 1885. I think Charles Finney opened up this passage of scripture and said, I think he's talking about 1780. I think every preacher that ever preached over the last 2000 years saying he's talking about today. He's talking about now, and what I'm trying to impress upon your hearts is every generation has been sinful, and every generation has been away from God. And I was talking to somebody this week, and we were wondering, Brother Vogel, we were wondering aloud, how bad was it in the days of Noah that God destroyed the earth, and yet he lets us live? With all the nonsense going on in our world today. But here's the thing. The response is exactly the same for every generation. Take up your cross and follow me. That's it. 
I remember at the end of closing words of the book of John, the Lord Jesus Christ said to Peter three times, do you love me? And he responded each time. And finally, the Lord Jesus said, one day, men will carry you where you would not go. This spake he concerning his death. Basically, he said to Peter, Peter, you're going to die if you follow me. And John followed along and said to Jesus, well, what do you want me to do? What's my, what's my calling? What am I supposed to do? And, he says, and, he, and he's upset about Peter and he's upset about others. And what, what is this man over here going to do? And what's this man over here going to do? And Jesus said to him, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. Don't worry about everybody else. Just take up your cross and follow me. The prescription is the same. In any sinful and adulterous generation, the challenge of a sin, you say, well, it's so hard to live for God in these days. And Jesus said, here's what you need to do. Take up your cross, die to self, die to sin, and follow me. The challenge of a sinful culture. And then we see the challenge of a shameful reception. Whosoever, whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. I don't believe it's talking about the unsaved. The word shamed, to be ashamed of Jesus means to shy away from, to not to want to be associated with, that's why Paul says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. I won't shy away from it. Paul said to Timothy, be not thou therefore ashamed of me, a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, an ambassador in bonds. He was in prison, and Peter was shying away from him because he knew that if he followed that path, he too might die. He might too go to him prison. Paul had just been in prison for preaching the gospel, and now Paul, Timothy was afraid. He says, God has not given you the spirit of fear. Don't be ashamed. Keep preaching, keep following, keep serving. Because here's what happens. When we're ashamed, when the Lord Jesus Christ returns, he says he'll be ashamed of us. I can think of no greater condemnation for the believer. For the one that says, I know the Lord Jesus Christ, he says, why didn't you speak of me then? Did anybody else know you're a child of God? Did you stand for right and for truth? Or were you ashamed? The challenge of a shameful reception. Listen, friends, the call is just simply this. Take up your cross and follow him. You know what we need in this day and age? Some sold out disciples that are saying, I'm willing to die to self. I'm not worried about worldly ambitions, but I'm going to surrender all to Jesus Christ. Whatever that means. It's not some burden to carry. It's saying I'm going to totally throw myself at the mercy of God. And I'm going to trust that he'll take care of me. And if I live, I live. And if I die, so be it. But I'm going to give my last breath serving Christ. Let's bow this morning. Father, help us. Lord, to take to heart what the Lord Jesus Christ is teaching his disciples. 
must have been hard for them to hear. There's passages where it talks about the hard sayings of Jesus, and from that moment, many turned back and followed him no more, and we can understand why. Lord, we're so afraid of death sometimes, and even this idea of putting away the world and its affections and its lusts and putting away the man of sin because we enjoy the pleasures of this world too much. Lord, help us to be separated and sanctified. Peter reminds us that we are to be holy because Christ is holy. So God, I pray that you move in our hearts today. Help us, Lord, to live for you. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand this morning with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. The altar's open. If God has spoke to your heart, would you come? <coughs> I mentioned it's a cross of decision. You have a choice to make. Maybe you don't know Christ today. Maybe you've turned away because the, the way of the cross seems too hard. Let me, let me say this. There is no better way there is no life outside of Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Maybe there's a disciple here today, a follower of Christ, who says, I'm not willing to commit that far. Oh, don't let him be ashamed. Would to God that he'd move in our hearts.